that can't possibly be the case. Otherwise, no one would have visited it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how does it function? <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever-imaginative Adder. Oh, Alan, how are you? I am so good this week, Adam. How are you? I feel great. I feel nice. That's good to hear, man. We've had an overwhelming positive response from our listening audience with regards to our last episode, the episode on mental health whilst travelling. It's been so great to see the outpouring of kindness from our listeners all reaching out to us on email at tripologypodcast at gmail.com and on social media at tripologypodcast. Yeah, I think to receive that kind of feedback and words of encouragement from people who are in this community as well, you know, other backpackers and travellers like us, it's really encouraging because they are our exact target market. It's just so uh, moving in a way, you know, to to hear that we are touching people in that way. And we've had all kinds of responses. We've had responses from people who have been travelling and are a little bit down in the dumps when they were, people who are currently travelling and thinking, God, this is really resonating with me, and people who very robust psychologically and have never had any mental health issues of any kind, but just wanted to reach out to say, you know, oh, I have friends who can empathise with this and I, I'm going to do what I can to be there for the travelling community. So that's really cool, man. I'm really proud of our listening audience. And I think going forward, we can build something really cool together as tropologists where we all look after one another. Yeah, I think as well, a couple of people have said that we're kind of talking about travel in a new way from a different angle and that it's quite fresh. And that's exactly what we set out to do. Tropology, breaking down barriers, discovering new untrodden ground and really being, I mean, pioneers in the space (laughs) of travel podcasting. (laughs) Trailblazers, if you will. Something like that. I think on last week's episode, I also described the fact that far from just being a guide to travel, we were very much a holistic sort of philosophy of travel, of travel community. And that is very much true. I hold that dear and close to my heart. But inversely, you know, I'm currently at the end of a trip in Guatemala and I would like to share some stories and tips and tricks for sort of traversing Guatemala. So may I? Yeah, please do. Guatemala is a country that's been on my list for a long time. It was somewhere that I was going to go um, right up until I made a sideways move and chose to go to Mexico. Um, but yeah, fantastic country in Central America. Don't know loads about it and you haven't told me anything about what you've done. So, Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You're very much you know, my best friend. So it's interesting that we kind of save up our conversations like for this podcast, don't we, a little bit. I kept very much in the dark about what I've been getting up to in Guatemala. So I think if I share just a few highlights with the listeners, then, you know, some of you might go to Guatemala and be inspired. Others, it's just nice to share backpacking stories. What is this podcast, if not a sort of audio manifestation of the hostel space? And if our listeners came up to me in a hostel and said, Alan, tell me about your life, I would regale them with a couple of tales of Guatemala. So why don't we do that now on this episode? It's sort of like 
a more positive spin on tropology after we meandered down a slightly darker or more pensive lane last week. Mm, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, episode after episode, it's going to change ever so slightly. And even within the category of travel, it's incredibly diverse. Um, so, yeah, I look forward to hearing all about Guatemala. And I've got no doubt that after this episode, I'll be jumping on the old interweb and booking myself a flight. That's it. Let us gather round the proverbial campfire and I'll sit there like a sort of elder statesman of travel and tell you just a few things about Guatemala. Not historical facts or geographical facts, mind you. No, no, just the very sort of <laughs> simple and <laughs> basic sort of description of my specific experiences there in the hope that some of it resonates so, as you know, I sort of just got out of the Belizean jungle, hopped mm-hmm. straight on a bus across the Guatemalan border, and before you know it, quick as you like, there I was in the town of Flores. Flores, very beautiful town. So there's an actual island proper of Flores and then a city that surrounds it. Oh, right. Very, very beautiful. And there's these Mayan ruins there called Tikal, which travellers come from all over the shop to go and see. It's apparently very, very beautiful. But to be honest with you, so drained was I from the time in Belizean jungle, I just really chilled in Flores. We talked a little bit about sometimes needing to take a time just to stop, be static, be in some sort of stasis while you're traveling. Mm -hmm. And that was Flores for me. It provided me with just a a place to stop for a little while, sip a few drinks by a lake and sort of think about everything. Okay, wicked. So entry into Guatemala then and ended up in Flores. That's what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. Entered into Guatemala and headed straight for Flores. The infrastructure for travel is really nice in Guatemala, so it was dead easy to cross the border, get straight in one of those colectivo-style minivans, you know, Mm -hmm. where you pay just a a very small amount of money. Uh, I think in in this case it was sort of like 10 Guatemalan Quetzales. Yeah, yeah. Named after the bird, right? Yes, exactly. Named after the bird. My favourite bird, that is. Yeah, so... And you know, we talk about birds fairly frequently on this podcast. I mean, the whip bird. Yeah. Back at the beginning of the podcast, we are... We are We're very much <laughs> an ornithological podcast, aren't we? Yeah, a big part of our lives. Interesting. If someone could mock up a quick image of me or Adam as a falcon, it would be really <laughs> appreciated. Metaphorically spreading our wings on every episode. I like that a lot, mate. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, about 10 Quetzales, and it took me straight to Flores. I arrived in Flores, Adam, and I didn't know where on earth my hostel was. It was one of those ones where in a rush I'd sort of booked it on Hostel World, didn't know where it was, but just sort of assumed that I would be able to find my way. I got out of the bus station on arriving in Flores, used rudimentary Spanish to procure a tuk-tuk driver and ask him for directions. He said, no problem. I'll take you to your hostel for another small amount, maybe 50 quetzales. Oof. Steep. Bit steep, though, <laughs> that, actually. But he did say it was about a half an hour journey. So I thought, don't really know the exchange rate. I'll cop the, the steep fee. <laughs> what, a European minutes to Guatemalan minutes? Yeah, exactly. I didn't know. Didn't... <laughs> about, it's roughly about half an hour in Guatemala minutes. <laughs> the temporal exchange rate was entirely lost <laughs> on me. I didn't know what sort of time-space continuum this Guatemalan city ran on. So I opted in that tuk-tuk. Mate, 
It took almost two hours. <laughs> two hours. 50 quetzales seemed like a bargain by the time I was done because <laughs> the sheer time I spent in that tuk-tuk, I might as well have had a sleep in there, woken up the next morning. It broke down at like every three meters, that tuk-tuk, and that's no exaggeration. It would move. Every time it went up any sort of incline, it would sort of stall. He'd had to get out and like start tinkering around with the engine, repairing it, bash it with a hammer. He was, he was, it was nuts, man. <laughs> God. So obviously it wasn't the first time it happened then. I don't know whether it was the first time. He seemed to be getting increasingly frustrated. Uh, there was a lot of disculpe, lo siento, perdón. <laughs> the engine's gone all crazy. At one point, the um, the tuk-tuk the broke down in like a sort of jungly area where I was looking out. There was howling monkeys going through the trees. You've got vodka now, not like <laughs> It was a blast from two weeks ago, a right blast from the past. Well, there must have been a point that he was getting so frustrated because he realised that he was losing money. <laughs> right. There's a- well, if <laughs> he was losing time, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the exchange rate was getting more and more in my favour <laughs> as the journey went on. Yeah, exactly. He probably thought, "What a bargain! Fifty quetzales, and I'm going to be driving for half an hour." But as time loomed on, he was thinking, "Wow, this, I've never worked so hard for any cash in my life." <laughs> <laughs> He's got no fingernails left, covered in oil. I was sat on the back, puffing on a cigar, monocle and a top hat, thinking, "I've really made a great day." <laughs> Counting all your quetzales. Yeah, exactly, man. So uh, he got me there eventually, bless him. But it, it was one of those parting ways where I was somewhat frustrated having arrived at my hostel two hours late. He was somewhat frustrated with the plume of smoke coming out the back of his tuk-tuk. We sort of shook hands and, and sort of said, oh, you know, we parted ways amicably, but my goodness, it was an hell of a ride. Wow, crikey. Um, you obviously miss checking of course, and then you've got to try and wriggle out of that one. Yeah, exactly. And I had a pile of laundry covered in monkey poo from the monkey sanctuary. <laughs> I arrived in that hostel two hours late with a big bag of, of, of terrible, terrible laundry and a stinking attitude. Um, yeah. yeah, but I had a hell of a sleep that night, let me tell you. Mm. So got to the hostel then, and did you already know roughly what you were going to do the day after, or how late was it? No, no, it was late enough for me just to go to bed, sort of be satisfied with the dinner and the laundry. And um, I very much just spent a couple of days in Flores just taking stock and chilling, and I think that was an important thing for me to do. Sometimes as well, mental health aside, stasis aside, the desire just to stop for a while aside, Mm. sometimes I think just when you change buy homes so drastically from jungle to city or just ways of life so much it can be nice just to have a little moment just to reset the old internal clock calendar and and um personality you know take a little bit of a detox yeah totally yeah totally um describe flores to me because i've seen it on a map is it a city or is it a town what does it look like Uh, well it's, it's an island oh the, pro- the proper island of Flores, which has, you know, a lake around it, and then a surrounding city, more metropolitan area, markets and all that stuff. It's a place characterised by intense beauty and then quite built up sort of metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. You know, from my hostel, you could take a boat for Ten Quetzales to the island of Flores proper, and from there you could walk into the city. Oh, okay, nice. Oh, good stuff. 
But my hostel was a was a nice place just to chill and relax. If you are interested in going to Guatemala, I'll I'll write the name of the hostel perhaps in the description of this episode, and you can go and book there because I think it was a nice place just to take a chill. Mm-hmm. But really, my laid back time in that hostel was characterized by the first lesson I learned about Guatemala, kind of on my third morning, when I realized the travel infrastructure aside. You should always know what you're going to do the next day before you go to sleep the night before. Handy. It is handy. You're talking to a planner here. You know that this is music to my ears. Well, perhaps if I'd been travelling with you, I wouldn't have made such rudimentary travel errors. But what happened, mate, was I woke up at sort of 8 Mm a.m. And I thought, like, vaguely, I want to travel south. Down south, we have Guatemala City. We have Antigua. We have Lake Atitlan, volcanoes and lakes, some of that really cool Guatemalan landscape topography that I was really interested in seeing. So I thought, I'm going to head south. Sat with a coffee in the hostel, scrolling through the various, you know, how to travel Guatemala on a showstring budget (laughs) guides to living my life. And I... um, basically decided I really want to see Semuk Champi, which is this really cool cave system, limestone pools, right? Spectacle, really beautiful. Mm. And to go there, you have to stay in a town called Lankin. And basically, mate, I looked up at the hostel board and there's this series of shuttles and minivans that take you all over Guatemala. And the one to Lankin left at 8 a.m. Uh. Okay, you've just told me that you woke up roughly at 8am, so I assume you've, what, missed the boat? Well, at this point I've been sipping coffee and thinking about the future for for at least (laughs) half an hour, so that's sort of a foregone conclusion. (laughs) So I thought, no trouble, I'm an experienced traveller, I'll just go into town to the the local bus stop, I'll get on a bus to Lankin, I'm sure there's there's many, you know? Mm, Yeah, yeah. So I I go leave the hostel at my leisure get to the bus stop in town around 9am where I'm quickly informed and I quote the person working at the bus terminal he said it's absolutely impossible to get to Lankin today wow it's not going to happen sure yeah and I'm like well hold on Semak Champi is like quite a popular backpacker thing and quite a popular backpacking country like surely surely it's not impossible to get to Lankin. yeah you thought i'll show you where's that geezer with the tuk-tuk yeah yeah where's that geezer with the broken down tuk-tuk hey mate 55 quetzales can you get me to Lankin? so Lankin's about a six hour drive away from flores right uh not close not close but he goes look it's impossible to get to Lankin. I'm looking a bit dejected. Some other guy comes up to me, also sort of works at the bus uh, terminal. And he goes, listen, mate, you can get... This is all in Spanish, by the way, but I entiendo mucho. So he's like... (laughs) He's like, listen, you can get to Caban. Right. Which is a larger town. There's a bus leaving to Caban in a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And then from Caban, you can get to (laughs) to Lankin. Okay, so just sort of you add a little via another town and you can do it. It is possible. Basically, I mean, what I think he said, you know, in Spanish (laughs) was, my friend, if you take a circuitous route, it's entirely possible to get to Lankin today. Okay. But I have to wait two hours for this bus to uh, Lankin. So I go, I find some Wi-Fi. I'm sitting editing Tropology. I'm digital nomad. (laughs) Like a cool guy. 
Yeah, like a cool guy. So I spend a couple of hours for the fans. <laughs> and then I'm back at the bus station and I get on this, well, it's essentially a mini van, right? It's a collectivo. It's a small shuttle that alleges to be going to Gabon. Mm-hmm. But as you might know with a lot of these things, this journey ended up being the circuitous thing where it went to kind of the next nearest city and then we were all ushered off that minivan onto another minivan. We crossed a river at one point, had to give five quetzales to the boat driver. We were there, it was like constant changing. As I got further and further away from Flores, any gringos that were with me on the collective was filtered out and I was just there with people very much kind of going back to visit their families and stuff. It became more and more obscure, the travel, as I was getting there, approaching Caban. I ended up, I must have left Flores at like 12 p.m. I got to Cabana at like 7 p.m., man. So like already longer Jesus. than it would have taken just to get to Lankeen. Yeah, yeah, if you had had that information prior, right? At this point, I've still spent less money than I would have done had I got the shuttle, right? The shuttle, I think, was like 280 quetzales to go direct. And at this point, I'd spent maybe like 90 quetzales to get to Caban. Oh, okay. So that sort of justified the time and energy you'd lost. Or was that you, at least you hadn't spent the same amount of money. Right. But then that terrible thing happens, Adam, is that it becomes apparently entirely clear once I'm there that the last bus from Caban to Lankeen is completely gone. It's impossible to get to Lankeen today. Oh, what an ordeal. <laughs> yeah, what an ordeal, mate. But do you know what? <sighs> you can't let these things bother you. And I thought I can either stay in Caban, but I've already got a hostel in Lankeen lined up. I just want to be at Semak Champi tomorrow. So I doubled down. Spoke to some people at a truck, truck stop, found a moto taxi that was willing to take me to Lankeen on his motorbike for 200 quetzales. That would net me 290 quetzales, a net loss of 10 quetzales over the shuttle. <laughs> there I was in my shorts and a t-shirt on the back of a motorbike, 7pm at night, up into the highlands of Guatemala, hugging this motorcycle driver for dear life as we raced kind of another <laughs> another hour and a half to uh, to Lankeen. It was a right nightmare, mate. I was freezing. What, so you paid him money and he got a hug from you? Yeah, he got a cuddle all the way up. That's a bloody good deal from him, isn't it? <laughs> no, mate, he got an even better deal than the tucked up driver in Flores. Yeah, crikey. I think what you have highlighted, though, is a good point because Semak Shampi is, I know, very picturesque. It's absolutely stunning. It's kind of those, um, you know, a tiered, like emerald green. It just looks so beautiful. And what sometimes things like Instagram or Facebook or any other social media platform, um, but what we try to do on Tropology is communicate that to get those shots, there's a whole journey there. And it ain't always straightforward. Well, exactly. Yeah, it could have been way more straightforward than it was. But it was it was a kind of perfect travel moment when I was riding on that motorcycle because it was imperfect in terms of like, I'm I messed up, right? Like I could have gone to bed with a clear plan, get to Lankeen tomorrow, got the shuttle. It would have been dead simple. It would yeah. have been a six-hour ride at 8 a.m. I'd have been there, you know, in time for lunch, right? And it would have been fine. But instead, I arrived there at like half past eight, nine o'clock at night, checking it closed at this hostel in Lankeen. I was more excited for Semak Champi than I think I would have been otherwise in some ways. I just doubled down and committed to it and figured it out and... It was kind of nice. Oh, good, good. That is really good. Yeah, because I've definitely felt that in the past, right? When you 
you know, now I've been sort of living in one place and it's North America, right? There's infrastructure here and schedules and routines and everything works most of the time. And then you're taken out of this environment and thrown into a different one. And when you live in something like this for a long time, this kind of society that just seems to like function um, like clockwork all the time, you then go to somewhere that is either a well-known tourist destination or a monument or something or some location that you know of through whether it is a travel blog or Instagram, and you find out that there's only one bus a day to get there. It takes six hours and it leaves at 8 a.m. You think, but that can't possibly be the case. Otherwise, no one would have visited it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how does it function? And and still to this day, like, everyone at that hostel had taken the shuttle. Like, they'd got... Yeah. So, like, obviously, function's okay. It was just me rocking up late. <laughs> like, there was, was obviously something that I didn't understand. But then maybe that's the lament of the long-term traveller. Like, those people have probably done a little bit more planning than I had, you know? They probably thought about it a little bit more. Yeah, but even so, when it's something that's very popular and something that you catch wind of through the grapevine, through the travel community, you know that it's somewhere that's very popular and and visited. It's a well-trodden path. You would have thought, there's got to be more than one bus a day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely did think that. And and boy, was I wrong. But I'll say (laughs) this. Went to Summit Champi the next day. It was really, really cool. Went on a, a tour. It's interesting. We were talking about tours through the hostel and how in Mexico City you didn't uh, go through the hostel. Mm. I actually did a little bit of quick maths and it was actually cheaper to go to Semak Champi through my hostel and do the activities with the tour than it would have been to go individually and do those things. Right. But there was a lot of add-ons that they make money on. Like they made me lunch and that was a little bit extra and stuff like that. So it worked out being quite reasonably priced and to go through the hostel and obviously simpler. And I didn't just want to risk kind of missing the shuttle or anything the next day. So went with the with the hostel, which was nice as well because other people from the hostel were on the same little tour as I was. Yeah, meet some nice people. Yeah, a few nice people. Nice to nice to spend the day with with some people that were at the hostel, and then we were able to go back that evening and play some pool and have a couple of drinks and stuff. So it was cool. It was nice. Semut Champi itself. What an exploratory kind of adventurous experience, mate. More than I thought. You get candle that's lit and you're sort of going through underwater, through oh, wow. rocky crags. You're like climbing up ropes to like get into different parts of the cave system. It was really cool. One of the most adventurous sort of cave systems I have. It was a little bit catered towards maybe a fun-loving backpacker crowd, kind of like they put mud on our faces so we had sort of Rambo-style paint as we went through. Oh, yeah. It was a little bit kind of, you know, you know, it was of its type. But <laughs> I got into it. It was fun. Swinging down. We jumped from one part of the cave into the water. It was like very awesome, adventurous experience. And then the limestone pools were really cool to explore those. I'll post a picture on the Instagram of a view after I'd hiked. I've got my Rambo paint on. And I'm kind of looking down at the at the limestone pools, so listeners can see a little bit what Semok Champi looks like. But yeah, fun, adventurous day. There was like a rope swing into the limestone pools, into the river that flows out of the limestone pools. Rather, I liked it a lot. Worth doing, and it was worth the uh, the long day before getting there. Yeah, absolutely stunning. And is it just one location? Is is it the pool itself and the kind of river system, or is it a larger area where there's more to do? 
Well, there's it's Semak Champi is like a, a larger area. It's like a, yeah. a nature reserve kind of area, but it, mm-hmm. it, the attractions within it are that cave system and the pools and the river. We went tubing down the river as well. Wow, full day, full day, full day, and it reminded me a little bit of like Laos. You know, if you've been yeah. tubing in Laos, Van Vieng, and like that sort yeah. of thing, and there's caves around that part too. So it was like a little taste of Southeast Asia topographically. It was nice. Yeah, around the middle of Vietnam, we'll have to talk about the cave systems there because they're absolutely incredible, awe-inspiring stuff. Um, but then, yeah, I mean. We, of course, we've got to do another episode on tubing through Laos because that is yes. that changed, actually. I don't know when you were there, but for some pretty awful reasons, they had to bring in some restrictions. And it was, I think, just a few months after I was there um, that it changed. And even though it was still ridiculously dangerous. So I was there in 2015, so I'm not sure. I, I think... So was I! Hey! We well, would have been there. Oh, my God. Well, well that same year. Live on Tripology. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I was there pre-restriction, maybe, mate, because it seemed pretty loose when I was there. Mm. Van Vieng, and that makes me smile so much. I have such nostalgia about that little time in Southeast Asia. I was such a, a green backpacker at that point, you know? Yeah, I, I remember when I when I moved to Canada, I was going through some old clothes and stuff just to sort of clean a wardrobe out, and I found a vest, like one of those singlets that I had bought when I was in Vang Vieng. It was like fluorescent yellow or some bollocks. And I was just remember thinking, oh, that was the time of my life. Nice, nice. That was so good. Yeah, so this reminded me of that a, a little bit. I will say, though, Semak Champi, the best cave system I've ever explored, like better than anything I'd explored in Southeast Asia. I really like enjoyed it a lot. It was dead cool. Wow, that's good. Claustrophobic? Hellishly unsafe, mate. Yeah, really, like, I can't believe no one... I mean, people must get injured in there because I definitely, like, took the skin off my knuckles and stuff going through. So I I definitely think people must have a right horror show. Yeah. I was barefoot as well. You could pay extra and get some Crocs, but I uh, just (laughs) went barefoot. No trouble. Important to ask, is it quite taxing on you physically? Do you need to be in certain shape or have some stamina or is it just for anyone and everyone? I mean, yeah, I would say definitely if you're not the most physically confident just in terms of your own sense of balance and ability to manoeuvre through what is a fairly challenging, climby, slip-under-a-rock-style cave system, probably not the best thing for you. But Mm -hmm. if you're your average sort of backpacker, you don't necessarily need to be in shape or anything. I'm about to tell another story about Guatemala where you really do need to be in shape, so... We'll get to what you can do in Guatemala if you're in shape in just a, a small moment. But yeah, Semak Champi, really, really recommend it. I think it was a really cool thing to do. Wicked. I look forward to seeing the photos. I'll also link the hostel that I went with in the description of this episode. It was a really cool hostel. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, you know, promote them. It sounds like they did a great thing. Did a great thing, man. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind... We'll talk a little bit more about Guatemala. But first, why not take off our shoes and socks, shut our eyes and drift off into our own minds with a meditation break. Mm. So nice to emerge back into reality, fresh, wide awake and all sort of vibrant, isn't it? Yeah, I'm feeling inspired. 
I like it when you come out of the meditation break feeling inspired. It makes me feel inspired. Reciprocal <laughs> emotional response. That's it. And we love that music as well for the most part. I think it's fantastic. Oh, isn't it good? A little bit more about Guatemala. Oh, I'd love to. Love, because I know it's not the only thing you did. No, and learn from my previous mistakes. I didn't have much time in Guatemala. I'm about to leave now. I'm about to jump off to my next location and as yet undisclosed location. But um, So I didn't have much time. But what I decided to do is go straight from learning from my previous mistakes. I took a shuttle from the hostel to Antigua. (laughs) Now, let me tell you what's in Antigua. Antigua is the jumping off point for quite a famous hiking experience. And one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's wow. the hike of Atacanango and Fuego. Wicked. Have you heard of either of those two things? I have. I've seen a couple of YouTube series actually on those hikes specifically. And yeah, I know that they are popular and definitely worth doing by all accounts. I mean, it, it looks exceptional. Honestly one of the most rewarding travel experiences I've ever had. I love this about travel is it doesn't matter how much you travel. It's like, you know, how many hikes you've done, how many mountains you've climbed. There's always things that are going to astonish and amaze you. And Akatanango and Fuego, it was absolutely one of those things for me. These are active. El Fuego is an active volcano. Every 15 minutes, this thing is erupting. In the daytime, billowing smoke down its sides. At nighttime, red fire emerging from within it, like a portal to the magma at the centre of the earth. This is sort of erupting out. It's this beautiful display. So, again, I went through the hostel, mate. I went through the hostel because you're camping on the side of Atacanango, Akatanango, I think I'm saying that right. And um, <laughs> going through the hostel, you're provided with a head torch. You're provided with the necessary guide. You're provided with you know, your meal up there. Yeah. You know, you're hiking with six liters of water up the side of this thing. So every advantage you can give yourself. Went with the hostel and it was a great experience. I'll link that hostel in the description of this episode too. So an inbuilt group of a few English guys and a couple of Canadians. Oh, wow. And me. One of the most challenging hikes I've ever done in my life. Really? That's interesting. By a long stretch as well. Because of the, what, steepness, distance, the terrain? Well, interestingly, so I I think I've done shorter, harder hikes, like the hike up Rainbow Mountain. And I think I've done longer, more drawn out, easier hikes, like the Salkantai Trail. But this was kind of like, 48 hours of intense hiking experience. So the the initial hike up to base camp at Akatanango is like quite a grueling uphill, half a day spent with all your water and all your food and all that stuff. Very, very steep incline. Then a brief rest where you get to sort of see Fuego in the distance. Then an optional hike up Fuego itself. We elected to do the hike up Fuego. So you kind of travel back down Akatanango, then up Fuego. That's a really, really difficult at-altitude hike. But you're rewarded with being kind of 30 metres away from this erupting volcano as the sun went down. I have this picture that really 
gets across how in the clouds you are at that point. It is majestic to see clouds surrounding you on all sides and then Fuego itself, like, just spitting fire. It's phenomenal. Yeah, you're so good at describing things and, of course, are a wordsmith. And I think now I've got this image in my head of what that photo must look like and all I want to do is go there and do exactly the same thing you've just done. It was awesome, man. It was so good. The feeling of having hiked at altitude with a pack on, with, you know, I had one of those camel backs as well, you know, where you're sucking water through a straw to keep hydrated. Yeah, yeah. You're exhausted and it's incline hiking as well. But to get there up above the clouds and just see this, it was visceral, man. It, like I'd never seen an active volcano up close. <laughs> For good reason, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Mount Bromo in Indonesia and that like is oh, an yeah. active volcano, but nothing like this. This was, sorry to any of our Indonesian <laughs> listeners, but uh, Fuego was crazy, man. It was really, um, it was wild to see it erupt. and That's and, awesome. And the noises it makes is phenomenal. So that was that was the, the kind of day one, and then we just hiked back to to base camp, watched Fuego erupt as the as the sun went down, and then went to sleep. And can I just ask as well? You said that the hike was optional, right? To Fuego, yeah, yeah. So um, that was something that I guess the guide or guides put out to the group, and everyone had to do sort of a democratic vote. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I've been in situations like that where there's sort of this group of maybe people with different abilities or interests. They obviously have paid one amount of money and and through uh, a series of, yeah, voting, I guess, there's been like a split or some people have been really adamant they want to do it. Other people couldn't care less. What was the feeling in the group? Was everyone unanimous right off the bat? So cool, man. So like I just got, I looked out with a really cool group, all like a similar level of fitness, all kind of in our 20s, early 30s. and. Everyone was so game. Initially, there was some kind of feeling in the group that maybe it was too cloudy and the visibility wouldn't be good and then maybe it wouldn't be worth the hike. But we kind of all, you got the sense that we all really wanted to do it and and we kind of egged each other on a little bit. It was like a really nice supportive group. I was happy to have all those guys um, on the trip. It was was really cool. We all like, there's weak moments on the hike as well where, you know, some people faltered a little bit, you know, we're like, God, this is really hard work. And we all egged each other on to to get there. It was dead good. I met some travellers, like I met some travellers in Semuk Champion, Lankeen, who, had recently done the Axanango and Fuego hike and said it was the hardest thing that they'd ever done. Wow. In their lives. Yeah. And that was like a regular occurrence. People saying this was like the thing, like a life-changing hike some people described it as. Wow. Yeah, I've got one of those that we'll talk about on a later episode. But but yeah, I can imagine it completely because, um, you know, the, the hike that, that we'll talk about that I did a few years ago, which was funnily enough in Indonesia uh, on, on Lombok, you speak to some people who have done it. Before I did it, I spoke to some people who had done it who kind of recommended it. And I said, wow, that sounds absolutely incredible. Would you ever do it again? I said, oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. It's the hardest thing we've ever done in our lives. <laughs> it's interesting, that, isn't it? It's like something, can, it's like the meditation retreat for me. It's like, yeah. it's this transformative experience, but well, I've done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I feel that way about this hike as well. It was maybe like quite taxing. So the next day, you wake up having had pretty bad altitude sickness during the night. Oh. 
I think maybe we woke up at 4am in the morning and the idea is that you hike Atacanango now, summit from the base camp to the summit for, for sunrise, right? And this is a steep hike and the ground is like ashen. So it's like walking up a sand dune really. So really hard work. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, Atacanango is considered the holy grail of this hiking experience. Like getting to the summit of Atacanango and looking down at Fuego as it erupts in sunrise is considered the gold standard. But Akatanango was really busy. And so once you summit, there's a lot of people there. We had hiked up Fuego the previous day at a time where there was like no one else there. It was just like the the six of us. That was more special in a way. Yeah, so, sure. Akatanango itself was beautiful, but there was just a lot of people. It felt like a less spiritually evocative experience and more like, oh, this is something that a lot of people have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But really cool, man. If you ever get the chance to go to Guatemala and hike um, Fuego and Acatenango, highly, highly recommend it. What was a bucket list thing for me? Oh, I don't doubt it. How long was the whole thing? Um, you camped at some point, right? Yeah, camped for one night. So you leave early, like 6 a.m. the first day, and you get back. Yeah. Kind of, I think we got back for like 3 p.m. the f- the following day. That's wicked because we're kind of geographically what in the in the southwest corner of the country, Guatemala. Yeah, exactly. Right, Antigua's right next to Guatemala City. Yeah, in that sort of yeah southwest, and that was where I went to next, and where I am now. You know, I went from Antigua to Guatemala City, and I'm kind of now just enjoying some respite. I tell you what, my feet are ever so painful, ever so sore. Oh yeah, I don't doubt it. And then in terms of gear, because I know you love having a chat about gear. Yeah. What sort of stuff did you take with you and did they provide you with the necessary? Yeah. So provided me with uh, like the camel pack for drinking water, provided the head torch, they provided food, they provided like a jacket because it gets really cold up there and a lot of people aren't prepared for the cold if they're traveling around Guatemala. Sure. I think it cost about 300 Quetzales or thereabouts in the ballpark of, you can figure out the exchange on that, but it's essentially like $50 around that sort of amount. Is that all? Yeah, it wasn't too expensive. It really was affordable. No brainer. Yeah, no brainer, yeah. exactly. Had good weather? Yeah, perfect weather for it. Hot on the way up and cold when you're up there. Yeah, cause I've seen some YouTube series where they've done sort of a similar hike that you're talking about and it's pissed it down the entire time. I imagine that's a different experience. Yeah, be a bit of a mood killer, <laughs> wouldn't it? In terms of gear I had that was helpful that wasn't provided, I mean, I could talk a lot about the best shoes to travel with. Shoes was something that I thought about a lot when I first started traveling. And ultimately, I think the best shoes for travel depends on where you're traveling at. My current loadout, shoe-wise, I've got these Ultra Lone Peaks, which are a zero-drop trail running shoe. They're sort of designed for people to hike the Pacific Crest Trail because they're, like, not waterproof at all, but they'd be fast-drying, you know, if, if water gets in. Oh, right, well. I found them to be a really effective shoe on this trail. I wouldn't have wanted to be in a pair of heavy hiking boots or anything like that, so I was happy with them. And I recommend them for travel in general. Really lightweight, good trail running shoe. Yeah, nice one. We'll have to get more into the sort of gear as uh, as the podcast continues. Yeah, I would love to. I think I'd love to talk about backpack recommendations and 
what our initial sort of packing list was when we first decided to go traveling and how that's changed over time. Like I, the loadout that I travel with now is different from the, from the loadout that I had when I started and it's been refined and improved over the years. And Yeah. And almost halved in size, I imagine. Yeah. Well, I was always packing very light and there's a couple of things that I really thought about before I went traveling that really have stood the test of time and I still have to this day. I've actually just on this trip replaced the zip pulls on my backpack. That's the first <laughs> thing I've ever had to replace. I've tied snake knots and made them really robust and strong. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess your pack has changed ever so slightly very recently because now you've got to be taking your microphone everywhere with you. Exactly. These are the things that we can never plan for when we first start the trip. Now um, we're rocking a very, very beautiful small microphone, really like it, but I won't reveal the name of it in the hope that we can acquire future sponsorship from said company. (laughs) Adam, I think that's all I want to say about Guatemala and all I want to kind of talk about in terms of that trip. It has been a bit of a guide to in in some sense, but in other sense, it's just been a right hedonistic retelling of the time I've had over the last little bit. And I think hopefully our listeners will resonate with it. Why not take a trip to the beautiful land of Guatemala, sip a beer by a lake in Flores, meander your way down via moto taxi to Lankin, see Semuk Champi, hike Akatenango, see an active volcano, just some of the beautiful things you can do in the Central American country of Guatemala. On next week's episode, we'll hear all about Adam on Golden Great Bridge, going to Alcatraz like some sort of prison enthusiast. I can't wait to hear all about the things you've gotten up to in the meantime. If you have any questions for us, any backpacking tips, tricks and stories to share, why not email us at tropologypodcast at gmail.com or on social media at tropologypodcast. Send us a message on Instagram. Me and Adam will respond. Oh, what headphones do you wear? What backpacks do you have? And how the hell do you manage to get a podcast out every week under questionable Wi-Fi conditions? All these questions and more in future episodes of Tripology, the Traveller's Podcast. I don't know about you, but it seems to me like living in the present is not as fun as it used to be. So I'm going to take off into the future and see what wonders can be yielded from a journey into next week. Will you come with me, Adam? I would love to. Then let us hold hands and jump into the void. We'll see you next week. Bye! See ya! (laughs) 